Hello and welcome to Raising Rebels. This is a podcast about raising tweens, teens and beyond whilst keeping your sanity, sense of humour and relationships intact. I'm your host, Vicky McIntyre. I am a qualified childcare practitioner, teacher and mother to three amazing rebels, 8, 11 to 21. So I hope you're doing all right, folks. I am back from a lovely week in Brighton with my family. We have been celebrating Sadie's graduation. So although she didn't have her ceremony um, because of the industrial action and her last assignments and dissertation not being marked, we went and we celebrated anyway, which was absolutely wonderful. And we had a wander around, went on the pier, had lovely meals and then... Everybody came home and I stayed and I had a a lovely couple of days with my wonderful friend Jen and we just put the world to rights and it was wonderful. So, yeah, it's been been fantastic. So here I am for you today, very refreshed and ready to talk about the next topic um, in the whole plethora of topics that we can talk about when it comes to raising teenagers and adolescents. Um, I was inspired to talk about what I'm going to talk about today by a Facebook post, believe it or not. It popped up on my timeline um, a week or two ago, actually, and it was in the format of a kind of open letter to parents in the voice of a teenager, appealing to their parents for understanding as they go through the process of adolescence. Um, and sort of talking about why they do the things they do or don't do the things that they don't do, um, and about how the workings of their brain are different and so sometimes are quite hard for their parents to understand. And that really resonated with me um, because I think we all know, don't we, that the teenage brain, the adolescent brain, it is different. But I'm not sure if we all know why. So I thought I'd do a little bit of research into that because it's kind of, it's foundational really, isn't it? It's kind of the the basis of absolutely everything else. If we can understand how their brains are working and how um, we can help them as their brains are developing, which I'm going to talk a little bit more about in a bit, uh, then it's going to make... <laughs> make these years a lot easier for them and also a lot easier for us if we understand what's going on um, and help them to understand what's going on because they they have you know self-awareness they know when they're being irrational they know when they're getting angry but often they don't know how to help themselves so um, I thought it'd be really interesting to delve a little bit into the science of that and then sort of everything else we talk about sort of I think in some way relates back to that so I thought this would be a really really good sort of second episode to to have a look at that as a as a a sort of a basis for everything else really. So when I decided that I wanted to talk about the workings of the adolescent brain I fell down a bit of a, a rabbit hole really online and with um YouTube reading things it's absolutely fascinating if you want to go ahead and do a bit more research i can pop um the ted talks i looked at um some of the the texts that i came across i could pop those in the description for you if you want to to read a bit more around it 
but it's absolutely fascinating. I started with a TED Talk by Professor Sarah Jane Blakemore, who is a Professor of Psychology and Neuroscience at Cambridge. And she did a TED Talk called The Mysterious Workings of the Teenage Brain. And she did that, it was came out about 10 years ago. And she also has written a book called Inventing Ourselves, The Secret Life of the Teenage Brain. So this is kind of her area of expertise. And the TED Talk is absolutely fascinating because she put it in a really, really straightforward way. So it was a really, really good place to start, a good place to understand as a, as a basis of how the teenage brain works. So she says that it's previously thought that the majority of brain development happened in the first few years of life, so from birth till about, you know, till about five years old, till they get to school. However, due to the development of technology, such as MRI scans, over the last 20 years or so, neuroscientists have actually been able to look at the inner workings of the brain. They could take snapshots of the human brain, they can observe grey matter, and they can also take moving images. So while somebody is completing a task and they're scanning their brain, they can actually see which areas of the brain are functioning, which is absolutely fascinating, isn't it? because of this, scientists can actually see that the brain is still changing all the way into adolescence, all the way even into the 20s. And I think the general consensus is that our brains are fully developed around the age of about 25, which when you think about everything you were doing at that point, you know, you driving a car, you might have had a child, bought a house, started your first proper in inverted commas job you know we're all doing that before our brains are fully developed so there is hope there is hope um so yeah absolutely brilliant this is you might think and the term teenager is is a relatively recent term and um, but the this idea of adolescence has been around for a long time and Sarah Jane Blakemore uh, she talks about this quote from Shakespeare which shows us really that adolescents have been documented throughout history as being a bit of a, a waste of space historically um, you know they, they've always been the butt of the jokes so it was a brilliant quote uh, from A Winter's Tale I would there were no age between Ten and three and twenty, or that youth would sleep out the rest, for there is nothing in between but getting wenches with child and wronging the ancient tree, stealing and fighting. But then goes on to say, Would any but these bald brains of nineteen and two and twenty hunt in this weather? And that really encapsulates the this idea that adolescence, the running around <laughs> getting wenches with child and wronging the ancestry and stealing and fighting, but also they are the ones that are bonkers enough to go and take all the risks that, that are needed, you know, to go and hunt when the weather's bad and, and that kind of thing. So that is a perfect in, encapsulating everything really about adolescence that I want to talk about today. 
Now, I'm sure I don't have to tell you just how important and formative those adolescent years are. If you think back to the memories you have from when you were a teenager, when you were growing up, um, even the music that you liked then, that is probably the music you still listen to now because that was the kind of thing that made us happy, that we loved when we were going through this really, really key phase in our development. And this is down to something called the prefrontal cortex, and that's often referred to as the PFC, which I think I'm going to start calling it throughout this because it's a lot easier to say. And that is the part of our brain that is right behind our forehead, and it's the last part of our brain to fully develop. So it's responsible for many of the high-level functions that make us uniquely human, such as decision-making, impulse control, planning for the future, understand the consequences of our actions, and it is bigger in humans than in other animals. So that's why um, humans potentially consider inappropriate some things you might go to the zoo and see animals doing quite freely. Um, if you catch my drift. Um, so during adolescence, the PFC is still under construction. So you can think of the PFC as being a little bit like an executive manager for your brain, except in adolescence, this manager is still learning the ropes. They're not quite sure what's going on. Now, because of this ongoing development, teenagers can sometimes make decisions that might seem impulsive or short-sighted from an adult perspective. And one important process happening during this time is called synaptic pruning. So this is when the brain gets rid of weaker synaptic connections and this makes room for stronger ones. So if you think of it a little bit like pruning away dead branches on a tree to allow healthy ones to grow. So this process helps the brain to become more efficient, but at the same time, it can contribute to this kind of characteristic unpredictability in teenage behaviour. So at this stage, you're probably thinking, that's it, that's the issue, this is why my teenager, my adolescent behaves as they do. Oh, nay, nay, that's not it, we're not there yet. All this of the PFC is happening at the same time as the development of the limbic system. Now, the limbic system is in the centre of the brain, and this is the bit of the brain which controls emotion, and very importantly, reward processing and pleasure. Now, at this age, at this stage of development, the brain is very, very hypersensitive to the kicks of risk-taking, the dopamine rush that they get from doing things that they probably shouldn't. And this is all happening at the same time as the PFC, which stops us taking excessive risks, is still in development as well. So you've got um, that that big rush of risk-taking behaviour because they, they get um, that dopamine hit from it. At the same time as the sensible bit of our brain that tells us to stop taking those risks is still developing. So this is why teenagers display this characteristically risky behaviour 
and do things that they they probably shouldn't. But there is good news. Nature doesn't make mistakes, okay? The brain is perfectly aligned at this age with learning. And it is a perfect opportunity to educate and develop socially and and take good risks. And this is how we learn, isn't it? We take those risks. We push ourselves out of our comfort zones. I talked quite a lot about that in my first episode. And this is what this is all about at this age. This is going to lead to exciting discoveries or challenges and opportunities to try something new. And this is where the brain is. It's retaining the flexibility of childhood, but it still has the adult ability to think abstractly and to start to appreciate the future. So you can you can really understand, can't you, why this is all happening at this age. The brain is perfectly primed for all of the learning that the adolescent, the teenager, the child, they're going to be doing or the risks that they're going to take to meet their new challenges. As I say, nature doesn't make mistakes. It is absolutely spot on. It is absolutely perfect. But you know what's also a really good thing? Their brains are more amenable to rewards. So you can help their journey through this simply by giving them lots of praise and lots of positive feedback. We tend to think of Adolescence is a, is a time where, you know, we have to, to have a lot of uh, arguments with kids and be shouting at them and, you know, yelling at them about their behaviour. But actually, this just shows, doesn't it, that it's more carrot than stick. That is what's going to get you somewhere. And as a teacher as well, it's really, really interesting to remember that. So I guess the thing we need to think about now is how do we actually help our adolescents, our teenagers, how do we help them through this? It is a big enough thing already, isn't it? You know, going through a period of their lives when they have so many changes, so many things that they have to deal with, so many challenges on the road to adulthood. And it seems... A little bit unfair to have this on top, doesn't it, really? But as as I've said, as we've learned, that this is all part of the journey. This is how brain development helps with those challenges, helps with that journey. Um, so whilst it might seem a little bit unfair, it's all for a reason. There is method in nature's madness. So we need to have ways to help them through this. So... This is a few ways that that we can do that. So first of all, we could think about modelling how to be an adult. We can model how to be the kind of adult that they should aspire to be, essentially. And that is hard sometimes, isn't it? It's not always easy. And it might seem that they're not listening they might not be paying attention, but they do. They they really do. 
And so we've got to show them, by example, really, what is healthy, modelling healthy relationships, modelling even down to social media use. And I am, I'll hold my hands up here, I am rubbish. I love getting in a good Twitter argument. (laughs) And I, you know, I really struggle with that. But if we're just very mindful of how we're presenting how to adult, that is going to, that's going to be a really good place to start. We don't have to be perfect. When you are arguing with your other half, they need to be able to see that actually things like that are healthy. And it's just, it's it's a bit about that balance, isn't it? We did also talk about letting them figure things out for themselves in the first episode, letting them make those mistakes. And it's so counterintuitive, and I said this before, it is so counterintuitive to let them make the mistakes, let them get hurt. Um, and, okay, we can give them a little bit of a, a, a leash, if you like, a little bit of um, a buffer, really, so that they are still safe, but at the same time, they're figuring things out for themselves. But this is how they're going to build that confidence and that resilience. And again, I find this really hard. I want to make things right all the time. And it's that releasing of control that is that is really going to be helpful here. I posted on my Instagram the other day, a psychologist, and I forget her name, um, but it was if you saw my Instagram stories, I can't remember if I've highlighted it, I might have done. If not, I hope I find it again, because it, it was really, really impactful. She says, doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter how hard you protect your children, you are never going to be able to stop them getting hurt in their life. I'll just give you a second there, just to take that on board. You can't stop them being hurt. And as a parent, that's terrifying. But at the same time, we have to acknowledge that reality, don't we? We have to acknowledge this is this is all part of life. They are going to be hurt. There, there are going to be times when we're not going to be there. But we have to give them the tools to be resilient, to pick up the pieces. We can help them. If, if we need to, to pick up the pieces, but we're not going to be able to stop that hurt. We have to help them, though. That is our job, to help them be resilient, to give them the tools to pick themselves up. I think it's also quite important to let teenagers know that you were just like them once upon a time. You did stuff that you probably shouldn't have done. You, you can share that with them. You can let them know what you learned from that. You can tell them about that crazy teenage holiday in Palmanova about throwing up by the side of the road walking home from the club at 6am and you can let them know what you learned from that but you can also acknowledge they're probably going to do the same and let's be honest folks that teenage holiday in Palmanova or Ibiza whatever would you have changed that would you have swapped that for the world of course you wouldn't 
it's a rite of passage. You know, you've got to acknowledge they need space to do that stuff. You know, if if they go away with their friends, if they're partying, they're probably going to do stuff like drink too much, make a bit of tip of themselves. And that's okay. It's all part of the process. But if you let them know you are there for them, you did the same thing, you learned from it, it's part of the journey, just to be safe, that's that's as much as you can do, isn't it? And that is the really important thing, isn't it? They need to know that you are their safe space. And as frustrating as it might be sometimes, if they've spent their taxi money on beer... Um, ringing you at two o'clock in the morning saying please come and get me they need to know that you are the better option than walking home that you whilst you obviously you're going to be a little bit annoyed they need to know that you are the better option than walking home alone the safe thing to do is to ring you to come and get them rather than risking walking home alone because they don't want to get a telling off and that is really hard that is really really hard but it's better than the alternative, isn't it? Um, the old mum, dad, I need to go and get a pregnancy test. They need to know that things like that, they can come to you, that you are going to be safe. You're not going to lecture. You're not going to be angry with them. You are the safe person to come to. You can do that whilst letting them know that they shouldn't be drinking and driving, they should be careful what substances they're taking, all of that stuff. They need to be able to talk to you about that, don't they? They need to be safe. And like I say, that is hard sometimes. You don't want to be called at two o'clock in the morning to go and get them from town because they've got no money for a taxi. But that is, that's the reality, isn't it? You've got to be the better option. You've got to be the safer option. I think kindness is really important as well in how you, you're dealing with your, your teenager. Um, when you are faced with Kevin all day, every day, grunting, it is, it's really hard. Trust me, it is really, really hard. But that kindness is what they take on board and is what they're going to imitate and what's going to come back to you when they're at the other side. And I think just if you can try and keep your actions positive that is is really going to be um that's really going to pay dividends in the long run if you try to be um combative um and, and nitpicking and, and mocking and although it is really hard when you are faced with Kevin the teenager not mocking that is so hard <laughs> um it's just being really mindful of how you react to that Kill him with kindness. Take a second if you have to before you react. But just remember, we were all like that one day. We were we were all grunty. We were all Kevin-esque. And we just got to try and let that go. Let it be water off a duck's back. Super hard, but take a breath and just try and let it go. If you can as well, really try and show interest in the things that they enjoy. There are times, there are little glimpses that I find in my kids when they share their interests with you. And it's so lovely when they sort of, they light up when they're talking about things that they're interested in. And it's just, just the best. So it's validating those moments. You know, it could be something that you're not that interested in, but 
please don't dismiss it. It's when you're busy, you know, it's quite hard sometimes to actually make that time. But it's so lovely when you see those glimpses when they're excited about something and they want to share something with you. Just put everything down and go, tell me about this. Share it with me and and at least acting interested. And I live for those moments, really, because I, I just... I love how, particularly with Sophia, when she's talking about um, these TV shows that she loves, books that she loves, and she just comes alive, wants to talk to you about them, and it's just brilliant. So... I'd drop everything and listen and it, and it and it's great. So if you do that, if you take those moments and you just, you encourage those by giving them attention, giving them the validation that they want, then that's going to encourage more of that. So whilst it might not seem it now, if you're trying all these things and nothing seems to be working in the short term, keep with it. Just keep being kind, keep sharing those little stories from your own adolescence, model that that behaviour, help them get some perspective in terms of, you know, this this too shall pass, this is just a phase. You might be feeling a little bit frustrated and confused about life and your identity and, and whatever else now, but it it'll all be it'll all be okay, you'll come out the other side. And whilst that is difficult in the short term, in the long term, just remember it's going to pay dividends. You are going to end up with a confident, strong, competent, kind young person who is going to replace that that grumpy teenager, that Kevin. <laughs> and it was all going to be so worth it. And yes, it's going to be a ride. Yes, you're going to need to strap yourself in. You're going to need your tin hat. But honestly... When you do come out the other side, it is brilliant. I'm seeing glimpses now. I've got one who's deep in the middle of it. And I've got one who is about to enter that phase. And I'm sure every journey is different. And you navigate it as you go for each child. But, you know, as long as you try and apply these things it's going to pay dividends. You'll be able to see that light at the end of the tunnel. And they're going to come out just the most wonderful, wonderful people. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Raising Rebels and I really hope that it was helpful and I hope you've got some real actionable things that you can do to help your young person on this wonderful journey that is adolescence and hopefully give you a bit of understanding as to um, what is going on physiologically, neurologically, what is what is happening. I certainly learnt a lot doing my research and I hope you did too. I hope it's been useful. As always, if there's anything that you would like me to cover on the podcast, please just let me know. I'll put my social media details in the description so you can follow and share if you would like. Um, if you could download the podcast, if you could subscribe, if you could rate that'd be really, really helpful. And I'd really, really appreciate that. Thank you very much for listening. And I hope to see you next time. Stay rebellious.